0: Welcome to the Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice section of the ABA, the Unified Voice of Criminal Justice. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Just Pod. I'm your host Emily Johnson, and today we have Steven Salzberg, professor at George Washington University School of Law, and Neil Sonnet, criminal Defense Attorney. So today we're talking about resolutions. We're here meeting at Las Vegas at the mid-year meeting for the ABA. And at this meeting, the House of Delegates meets. So we're going to talk about resolutions that the criminal justice section is putting forward. But first, Neil is going to explain to us what resolutions are and what that process is.
1: Well, resolutions are the way of adopting policy by the American Bar Association uh, that can be used uh, in lobbying and in uh, advocating positions before uh, executive agencies. They go to the House of Delegates, forgive my voice, uh, which is uh, kind of like our Congress. We have about the same number of members, actually. Uh, and the uh, resolutions are presented to the House of Delegates. People can speak for and against, and those uh, are either passed uh, or uh, or denied by the House of Delegates. And once they are approved by the House, they become official ABA policy, and that can be used by our terrific legislative office uh, for purposes of lobbying on the Hill. Great.
0: And so the criminal justice section has four resolutions that we have proposed and are um, sharing with the House of Delegates for voting. Uh, Neil, can you start us off with the first of those resolutions and explain what that is?
1: Well, the the first one uh, deals with the the no tolerance policy in immigration. You know, there are uh, thousands of people who are seeking asylum that come into the United States uh, to make an asylum claim. And Attorney General Sessions, when he was Attorney General, adopted a policy of uh, no tolerance, uh, prosecuting everybody that came in, separating families. So uh, this resolution asked the Justice Department to rescind the policy of prosecuting all individuals that come into the United States for purposes of seeking asylum uh, and uh, to end the practice of expedited mass deportations and allow for individualized determinations in deciding whether to file criminal charges. Uh, We also ask in the resolution that the judiciary take effective measures to control these issues and that Congress provide sufficient funding uh, so that uh, uh, the uh, courts uh, can devote the time necessary to give all of these uh, applicants for asylum individualized hearings Uh, with lawyers that uh, have the time to prepare their cases. Uh, There are too many instances of mass um, uh, deportation or criminal prosecution hearings where 70, 75, 80, sometimes more than 100 people are in court at the same time. And lawyers simply don't have the opportunity uh, to consult with their clients and to decide whether or not uh, their clients uh, should or should not plead guilty to these misdemeanor immigration charges that are going to result in immediate uh, deportation out of the United States. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a very important issue right now, especially as we were seeing the recent Separation of families that was resulting from the zero tolerance tolerance policy, as well. It's uh, becoming a very urgent issue.
1: It's a terrible policy, uh, and it's really worse uh, than uh, most people know about because uh, we've recently found uh, that there are thousands more children that have been separated from their families (laughs) that were uh, never known to members of Congress who've been working on these issues.
0: Weren't reported, yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, We'll look forward to seeing the outcome of that proposal to the House.
1: Well, we think that uh, the House will overwhelmingly support it, Mm -hmm. and we think the resolution is crafted in such a way that it will provide an important uh, uh, array of ammunition for our lobbyists to be able to Uh, talk about this in front of uh, congressional committees and at the Justice Department and in front of the judiciary. Uh, I should add that these resolutions and the reports that accompany them uh, are the result of dozens if not hundreds of hours of work by committees within the criminal justice section mm-hmm. so that by the time a resolution comes to the full council of the criminal justice section for approval uh, it's been vetted mm-hmm. uh, and rewritten and rewritten again and uh, we're proud of the product that we present to the house of delegates
0: yes as you should be so the next one that the criminal justice section has proposed is around expungement. So, Steve, can you share with us what this <coughs> resolution is and sure. what, what the need is for this? The,
2: the criminal justice section has been concerned for many years about the lasting effects, negative effects, of criminal convictions on opportunities for returning citizens to get jobs, um, go to school, Uh, Find housing. And one of the problems is criminal convictions hang over their heads seemingly forever. And different states have different rules on expunging or basically saying we're going to erase a conviction after a period of time. Or sealing, meaning we're going to prevent people from actually learning of a criminal conviction so that people can get on with their lives. And basically, this resolution, which is um, our second, says we urge state legislatures um, and all legislatures in, and to make clear what the procedures are. How do you go about either expunging or sealing your records, what the standards are, and what kind of application you need to file so that you can benefit from this. We don't address actually which conviction should be eligible for expungement or sealing. And we don't specifically address that this procedure or that procedure should be used. What we want to do is have a process so that if I'm coming out of jail or prison and I have a conviction and a certain amount of time passes and I am now eligible that I can find that out, and I know exactly how to go about it. Mm
0: -hmm. And so currently the standard for expungement is inconsistent throughout different states, right? There's not a a standard.
2: There is no uniform standard, right? and we're not urging a uniform standard. Mm -hmm. There are reasons why different states might want to treat different kinds of convictions in different ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, okay. So our third resolution that we're putting forward is around women prisoners and their access to um, some pretty basic items.
1: Yeah, the the basic items we're talking about are feminine hygiene products, including both tampons and sanitary pads uh, that they need uh, while they're in prison. So the resolution uh, urges uh, that... Uh, All women prisoners in all forms of detention, both adult and juvenile, uh, have unrestricted access without cost Mm -hmm. uh, to free toilet paper and a range of free feminine hygiene products, including the ones I just mentioned, in sufficient quantities to address their needs. The committees that worked on this resolution were really shocked to find out that so many women uh, who are incarcerated are denied uh, these basic feminine hygiene products, uh, and, and it's uh, really inhuman for them to be incarcerated and be treated the way they are in some institutions. So it really
0: is surprising, I think, to anyone to learn that there's that someone could potentially not receive enough feminine hygiene products to take care of that need. Yeah. Uh, that's absolutely inhumane.
1: And, and we have a standard. There are criminal justice standards mm-hmm. that apply to many areas of the law that are highly respected uh, around the country. And the criminal justice standard for the treatment of prisoners Uh, state generally that correctional authorities should ensure that special health care protocols are used for female uh, prisoners Uh, and so this resolution it was specifically designed uh, to uh, further the standards that have already been adopted uh, and urge that female prisoners uh, in detention uh, be given uh, the right to access to hygiene products uh, without limit
0: Great. Well, then that brings us to our fourth and final resolution that will be shared with the House of Delegates, and that is around child torture. Steve, can you?
2: I will. Before I get to that, I Mm -hmm. just want to mention that one of the things about all of these resolutions is that often they're eye openers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Often they tell not only the House of Delegates as a whole, but our own section things that we just simply weren't keeping our eyes on, like the problem of women getting adequate mm-hmm. access to these hygiene products. Right. One of the other things that now we get to Resolution 4, it's shocking to look at the extent of child abuse in the United States. In fiscal year 2016, that's the last year we have data on, the 50 states, the District of Columbia, and the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico reported that 676,000 children were victims of child abuse and neglect. There's a subset of child abuse and neglect called child torture. Child, child torture involves a combination of two or more cruel, inhuman, degrading treatments occurring for protracted periods of time. And This is kind of ugly, but this is what these... Um, Inhumane treatments are intentionally starving the child, forcing the child to sit in urine or feces, binding or restraining the child, repeatedly physically injuring the child, exposing the child to extreme temperatures without adequate clothing, and so on. Mm -hmm. Two or more of those, over protracted periods of time, constitute child torture. This resolution says that every jurisdiction should make child torture a felony. Regardless of whether there's physical injury resulting. Mm -hmm. And some states, you don't have felony prosecution unless you not only have these cruel, inhumane, degrading treatments, but on top of that, there is a physical injury that results. And this says, no, that's not necessary. A child who is put through two or more of these cruel, inhumane, degrading treatments is a child that has been so severely neglected and harmed that the perpetrator should be found guilty of a felony.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It is hard to hear some of those, and um, I, I hope that we're optimistic for that passing.
1: We think all four yeah. of these resolutions will pass, and I should add one other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, these and other resolutions that we have passed in prior years are really designed to solve, or try to solve, real-world problems. One example that the ABA has been trumpeting during this meeting was a resolution that the Criminal Justice Section introduced, which passed the House on shackling of uh, juvenile defendants, and it called for an end to that practice Uh of shackling uh, young defendants. Um, since the passage of that there 's been a remarkable change in this country uh, to the extent that uh, the American Bar Association did about a fifteen minute video uh, highlighting that issue and the way in which the american bar association 's passage of the resolution helped to solve that problem so we 're hopeful that uh, we 'll be able to
2: solve these problems this year and one last thing I suppose we should say for those people who are listening and don't know much about how the ABA operates, that we have a government affairs office that is a very effective lobbying arm of the American Bar Association, especially effective at the federal level. But as Neil said, that some of these policies, when the word gets out, like the shackling, became really important um, driving forces in the states. But the ABA cannot essentially lobby or speak on issues where there is no policy. Mm-hmm. And so policy is that which, for the most part, the House of Delegates passes in the form of resolutions. So the moment that each of these four resolutions becomes ABA policy, the government affairs office, the president of the ABA, they now have something they can trumpet and go out there and target Um, Congress, agencies, Mm -hmm. state legislatures and governments and tribal legislatures and governments. Uh, So this is at the heart of how the ABA learns to be or is able to speak out on really important public issues.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you for that explanation. Um, I think just one other question that listeners might potentially have and that I'd like to know as well is Say someone's listening and wants to start some movement on an issue, um, even if they're not a member. And O'Neill said that these resolutions are put forward by committees. It's, what is the first step for someone that has an issue that they're passionate about and wants to see some movement on?
1: Well, we would urge, if they are lawyers, that they join the American Bar Association and specifically that they join the criminal justice section. And then they can work on committees uh, that deal with the issue in which they're interested. uh, And uh, it can result in reports and resolutions coming forward on that issue.
2: We also had non-lawyer members of the American Bar Association and would encourage people who have a real interest in what the kinds of issues that we take up are to join, become a non-lawyer member. And if that's too much of a burden, you know, you can always write a letter to the president of the ABA. You can pick out somebody that you know is a lawyer and a member of the ABA, write a letter and say, here's here's an issue I wish somebody would address. If it's really a good issue and it gets passed on, for example, it's a criminal justice issue, and it gets passed on to us, our section, we wouldn't hesitate to take it up because it came from um, Mary Lou in St. Louis, you know, or John Klein in Spokane. We don't care where it comes from. If it's the kind of issue we we should address, we would address it.
0: That's great. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us um, and sharing the background on these resolutions that will be put forward in just two days at mid-year. Not two days when people are listening to this podcast, but um, thank you again all the same. And those results will be posted online and you can find information about resolutions um, that have been sponsored by the criminal justice section on our website. So thank you again to Neil and Steve and to our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Just Pod.